0: Hello, and welcome to Cross the Line, a Christian perspective on politics. If you enjoy this episode, find us online at thecitizensbrief.com. Give us a follow on Instagram and a like on Facebook at The Citizens Brief to see more insightful Christian political content in your feed. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy this episode of Cross the Line. Now to your host, Daniel Hoster.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Cross the Line, a biblical perspective on politics. I'm Daniel Hostetter, the editor-in-chief of The Citizen's Brief and your host for today's episode. If you like what you hear today on the podcast, check us out online at thecitizensbrief.com and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at thecitizensbrief. I'm so excited we have an awesome guest joining us on Cross the Line today and I'm so excited for our conversation. The one and only, the incomparable Caleb Steindel is a good friend of mine from the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. He's currently interning with one of my favorite Christian political organizations, which we'll talk about in a second. And as a result, he's a good bit of practical political experience in Harrisburg. Uh, Caleb Steindell, welcome to Cross the Line.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Caleb, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the Pennsylvania Family Institute?
0: Absolutely. So I, I should say one of the first experiences I had with them uh, was City on the Hill, which is a a leadership conference that they have every year, Uh, and I'll talk about that in a little bit as well, but one of the um, most important elements of me getting involved with PFI was the fact that I go to the same church that most of the staff members do, (laughs) a Living Hope Church in Middletown, and so I was able to get sort of my foot in the door there uh, initially, so I've known a lot of staff members for most of my life. So I had always had an interest in what they did, and so jumping into working with PFI had always been a, a big desire that I had. I, this past year, after I graduated from high school, I wanted to take a couple of years to get my associate's degree and stay in the area, stay in, in the Harrisburg area, before I went out and finished my bachelor's somewhere else. And so I thought that would be a nice opportunity to be able to jump into their internship program, which is uh, they, they have different people come in as interns both in the summer and as year-long interns as well. So I am currently in the back half of, my, of a full-year uh, internship. Wow. Uh, it's going to end right around the summer, but I have started and in I've interned with them since, uh, since September. And my jobs have ranged uh, from a bunch of different things. I mean, obviously, you know, you you have an idea of a little bit kind of the menial jobs that interns do, but I've done a lot of different things. Uh, A lot of my jobs have centered around communication uh, because that is what I am getting my degree in, uh, communication and journalism. And so I have been answering a lot of phones, making a lot of phone calls, and that's one of the things I've actually really enjoyed. I I like having that element of being able to talk to people that are outside of the organization and – I have, in a lot of ways, been the face, or I guess voice, uh, <laughs> that people hear when they first call in to talk to people. I have been working on other individual projects, and as we're transferring now to working from home, I haven't really had the opportunity to, to be answering phone calls, but I've made some phone calls. And I have been working with doing some projects at the capitol as well, so Pennsylvania Family Institute is based very close to the, the PA state capitol. And I have worked on heading over to the Capitol numerous days to uh, deliver briefings, deliver information packets to the senators' offices, senators' and representatives' offices, to uh, inform them about, uh, about certain causes that we're, that we're trying to support. Uh, so it's been a little bit uh, of a different thing now as we're transitioning to stuff at home and working Absolutely. from home. But uh, we've been working on campaign stuff, election stuff, as much as we can do from home creating a database for candidates. Obviously, the election has been pushed back to June, uh, so it's been a little bit of a learning curve, but it's been fun. I've really enjoyed my experience at Pennsylvania Family Institute.
1: That's awesome. Uh, You mentioned the election. Can you tell us a little bit about what Pennsylvania Family Institute does in regards to elections and candidates? So,
0: we have several different issues that we are that are, I, guess, I guess you could say that we are uh, Focused primarily on we've, we've got a handful of different issues uh, One of our big issues is, is the pro-life Issue and, and concerning, concerning Abortion so one of our big Things is, is, is we are Supportive of candidates uh, That are going to Adhere to the same pro-life values that we're Supporting we are right. supporting candidates That are um, supportive Of school choice and school choice Bills that, that we're, we're attempting to help support To get passed we're very supportive of candidates that have a strong idea of, uh, of, of the family and want us to be able to support the family uh, and, and parental rights and things of that nature. So identifying what candidates support and then in turn supporting those candidates at a state level is, is very important for us. Uh, we, are also, we also attempt to be very much of an informer. Like we have in a right. way, like we, we do set up, voters' guides. But the point of our voters' guides is to, is to more inform people and be a nonpartisan Absolutely. voice for, uh, for, for our supporters and, and for, for really everyone that wants to find out uh, about what candidates support. So because we work so closely to the state capitol and we're in contact with a lot of senators and representatives' offices, mm-hmm. we create our voters' guides. We ask, we ask questions and we create voters' guides based off of that which, again, still in process because they uh, they pushed back the election. We're still in process of that. But we try to, tr- try to create a database so that our supporters mm-hmm. are able to know what these candidates support, and they can make informed decisions based off of that.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I liked what you said about informing and uh, kind of that nonpartisan in- informing voice. Uh, I think it's really important for us as Christians to be that voice and to be putting forth the truth, exactly right. uh, really no matter what party that comes from. I mean, obviously, uh PFI is, is pro-life and pro-family and a lot of those more traditional Republican things. But uh, it's cool how we can kind of reach across the aisle and uh, find issues that people have in common.
0: Just jump in. with one other thing, too. I, I think that a lot of people sort of have a predetermined idea of who, who they're going to vote for in a specific party. Right. And so to be able to have a voter's guide and a database... So we can really find out what they actually support. Yes. And for example, there are pro life Democrats out there. Absolutely. And so when you have people that are saying well, you know, maybe I might identify more as a Democrat but I am pro life So being able to being able to have these questions that the candidates have answered so they can look at it and say, well, maybe I'm not going to vote with my party on, on this on this right. particular candidate. Uh, it's is very important to have and not just go into the, the voting booth blindly saying, I'm going to vote for this candidate because they're in a specific party.
1: And in addition to legislative stuff, I know uh, PFI works a lot with their Independence Law Center, uh, which represents religious freedom cases pro bono. Uh, I know they've done cases involving transgender bathroom privacy violations, uh, rights of students in public schools. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that they've done?
0: So the Independence Law Center has uh, hit a little bit of a, obviously a speed bump sort of with, with coronavirus right. as we all have sort of, uh, but we definitely yes the Independence Law Center is is our legal branch uh, of PFI and they work in civil law in terms of lots of school choice stuff well, like you mentioned we get involved with schools a lot and one of the the simplest and most common things that they do is identifying. When a school has a an unconstitutional mm-hmm. policy, so when we when we talk about religious freedom in schools, a lot of it centers around what kids can and can't do uh, within the school and outside of the school. So obviously, you know this story, but for those yes. who who maybe don't back at uh, a City on the hill this past year, we had some kids from Mechanicsburg High School uh, that joined us. and, we got in touch with these kids through the Independence Law Center. They were starting a religious, or they, they were starting a, a Christian-based club, and they wanted to be able to pass out Bibles and uh, uh, talk to kids about Christianity. And they weren't; they were meeting a lot of, um, uh, they were they were getting a lot of backlash, and they were they were uh, noticing that a lot of walls were being put up in front of them from their school. And our Independence Law Center got involved uh, in, involved with the mm-hmm. School District, with with the board, and identified the fact that they were they had an unconstitutional policy in terms of what kids could and couldn't do regarding to pa- regarding passing out Bibles and talking with kids about, about religion. And so it comes down to religious liberty, and schools a lot of times have bad policies in regards to religious clubs. But if nobody points it out, and if nobody calls out the fact that they are, if they have an unconstitutional policy, nothing's going to get done. So I, we have really, in in the past few weeks even, I've been communicating with a couple of my friends that are in high school trying to start pro-life clubs and meeting a lot of backlash. And, and, and there's a lot of obstacles in their way through bad policies, through bad, uh, through bad school, school board decisions. So a lot of what it is have lost in residence, like you said, pro bono, being able to go in and not charging people and going in and identifying those mistakes and those errors and allowing kids to be able to exercise religious freedom in their schools. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I know another thing that you had talked about is abortion. Really, ever since Roe v. Wade was passed in January of 1973, uh, the debate has raged whether abortion is the murder of an innocent and defenseless human or not. So I'd like to ask you, Caleb, for you, what is the fundamental reason that abortion is wrong?
0: So abortion is obviously one of the most controversial topics right now. Yes. And I'll get into a little bit in regards to abortion relating to coronavirus and how those two have tied them together. But in terms of the fundamental reason why abortion is wrong, it comes down to who and what we believe is a human life that deserves to be protected. And the fundamental idea of what abortion does is it strips the rights of our most vulnerable individuals, and it attempts to dehumanize the newborn and unborn infant, and devalue what life is. So there's a lot of debate raging in terms of the scientific aspect of this, but simply put, science is on our side. And science agrees with us and agrees with the pro-life community that life does begin at conception. There is no magical... There's nothing magical about passing through the birth canal. It's a wonderful, beautiful experience, but that does not make you a human being. Just being born does not make you a human being because there is growth and development and there is heartbeat, and there are basic scientific elements that a child has while they are still in the womb. And science has now proven with the advanced technology that we're able to have, you know, back in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was decided, it's more understandable that it was decided that way because there was a lot we didn't know. But science now backs us up on this, and we can now see the fact that an unborn child, before they come out into the world, before they are born, is a human just like we are, is growing, is, is, has a heartbeat, is breathing at a very early age. And again, science is, we're, we're seeing a lot more technological developments that are helping to prove this. But it fundamentally comes down to what we believe a human is, who we believe a human is, and when basic rights begin. Mm-hmm. And the fact that abortion seeks to undermine that and seeks to, essentially for all intents and purposes, strip the value of the most vulnerable among us and specifically mm-hmm. target those who are most vulnerable among us, that's ultimately why I believe it is one of the most evil things that our nation ever experienced.
1: I mean, More than 60 million legal abortions have sure. occurred in the United States since Roe v. Wade, which is crazy. I- I've heard it said that over a third of a generation has been stolen by abortion. Yeah. And that's just, oh, that's just an affront to humanity. Like abortion really is, uh, it takes advantage of people that are vulnerable, like you said, uh, of the unborn and also of uh, minorities. I mean, we look at black women are more than 3.5 times likely, more likely to have an abortion uh, than white women. Planned Parenthood puts these clinics in minority communities to exploit them.
0: It's, it's a type of, of eugenics, to be honest. It is. Honest, because not only you mentioned, there's a, a racial and cultural element mm-hmm. to this as well but, that, you know, uh, children of, of minorities are being abort, aborted at, at much larger, much larger yes. rates, but we see the same thing with disabilities as well with mm-hmm. unborn children with disabilities, mm-hmm. and how uh, we are attempting to eliminate them it is it is it's a type of, of it's really ultimately a type of eugenics and we're mm-hmm. specifically targeting, which is really disappointing and really saddening
1: yeah, often people paint. Abortion is a political issue. Really, abortion is so much more than that, I think. The pro-life position is something that's beyond politics. It's something that is just a human rights issue and an issue of uh, humanity, not of politics. So that's something that we can totally take a stance on. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, PFI's role in this. Obviously, you kind of know a lot about, about this, but what is PFI doing to fight against abortion right now?
0: Yeah, so right now is a really interesting time uh, for the Pennsylvania Family Institute because one of the the biggest issues, obviously, is abortion that we're we're focused on combating. And coronavirus has really caused some changes in terms of what we're able to work on now. But the pro-life movement is one that we're now concerned with even more, I would say more than ever right now because there's some really interesting ways that these tie in uh, to each other. Obviously, Planned Parenthood is an abortion giant, over 300,000 abortions every year. They get hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer money, and they commit about 40 percent of the nation's abortions pretty much every year. And obviously, recently, Governor Wolf has ordered the shutdown of all non-life-sustaining businesses. Mm -hmm. The irony of of Planned Parenthood is the fact that they are the exact opposite of a life-sustaining business, and they are a business that takes away life, that not only isn't life-sustaining, but actually does the exact opposite of what we consider to be life-sustaining. And th- that being said, Planned Parenthood, many Planned Parents in Pennsylvania, are still fighting to remain open only for abortion services. Wow. And this is something that I hope will be brought up in future abortion arguments, hmm. because many argue that Planned Parenthood does so much more than just abortions. And that is true, <laughs> that they do other things other than abortions. However, we look at this very difficult period in time in this pandemic that we're facing, and Planned Parenthood has shut down most of their other operations except for abortion. They're keeping elective abortion surgeries open. Uh, places like uh, that Planned Parenthood in Reading, in York, in Lancaster, are only conducting abortions and elective abortions at that, despite mm-hmm. the fact that Wolf has shut down non-essential businesses, which obviously uh, Pennsylvania Family Institute believes very strongly that Planned Parenthood and their abortion services are largely non-essential. People bring up the 3% figure. They say, well, Planned Parenthood only, uh, abortions are only 3% of what Planned Parenthood does. And again, I hope this coronavirus case will be used in the future. What is staying open during quarantine, right? They're not keeping open other services. They're keeping open their abortion services because that is what the money-making element of their services is. Uh, Planned Parenthood has also had the nerve to ask for things like gloves, masks, hand sanitizers when they could be, used and funneled through to doctors that are fighting covid-19 this is another sad element of this what can we be using these these materials for they can be used elsewhere in places that they're actually needed and not elective abortion services the fact of the matter is abortions really are actually never they're actually always elective i guess you could say since they're never actually necessary that's a common argument that people use well what if what if a mother needs to go in and and have a have, have an abortion uh that that she really needs to have for for, for her life that you are to save her life and and again that's a common tactic used by the pro-choice side it's not true sometimes huh. preterm delivery is necessary uh, early term delivery and delivering a, a de- delivering a child that may have health complications delivering you know a child before the due date and this is sometimes a, a necessity mm-hmm. but abortion is never the only option it is never medically necessary to save someone's life committing an abortion uh Planned Parenthood. Uh, a couple of years ago, the stat came out but, uh, that Planned Parenthood performs about one abortion every ninety-seven seconds.
1: Wow!
0: Right, it, it's an insane amount of abortions they perform, and the three percent number. Uh, I, I would have to we have to take another podcast to talk about you know why that's wrong. But the three percent number is misleading, especially given right now that, uh, that that Planned Parenthood is keeping those open. So part of what Pennsylvania Family Institute is trying to do, you know, all that being said, is to get people to sign a letter that we currently have uh, that's open on our website. You can go sign this letter at pafamily.org slash sign the open letter. And it's a letter to Governor Wolf urging him to shut down elective abortions in the midst of COVID-19. Right? We obviously at PFI are very, very much wanting to see the end of abortion period, uh, but especially in this time when elective abortions should not remain open and we should be using these resources for fighting coronavirus. Yes. Governor Wolf has not cracked down on elective abortions, and this needs to happen. So, again, we've got over 8,000 signatures on this letter already, which is a great number, but we need as many people as we can get to sign this. So, again, it's pafamily.org slash sign the open letter. Uh, We're trying to urge Governor Wolf to shut down elective abortions in the midst of uh, coronavirus. So that's one of the big things we're working on right now. Uh, One other thing that we're also working on is uh, Senate Bill 857, which I won't go into too, too much detail about this, but in the midst of this coronavirus, there's a lot of emphasis being placed on telemedicine and uh, people being able to perform medical procedures at home through a doctor, communicating with them online or electronically. And Senate Bill 857 is a bill that would expand telemedicine in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and it currently includes language that would ban telemedicine abortions, mm-hmm. which is has been proved by the FDA and the CDC to be incredibly unsafe and risky. And Governor Wolf right. wants to remove this, this current ban in this bill in Senate Bill 857. He wants to allow telemedicine abortions to be able to take place. Again, something that in the midst of this coronavirus should not happen. And we're urging, uh, urging Wolf to, to rescind that and to remove the telemedicine abortion clause from this bill. And there's a place you can contact on our website, your senator as well, to urge them to urge uh, your senator to, to call out Governor Wolf on this. That would be pafamily.org slash not slash no telemed abortions. Those are two of the main things that BFI is working on, the telemed abortion issue, and uh, calling Governor Wolf to shut down elective abortions.
1: I will drop those two links in the description below. I just wanted to read a little bit from the open letter that Michael Gere wrote, uh, the president of PFI. He says, uh, if we are concerned with stopping the spread of the coronavirus, the prohibition of elective surgical procedures should not come with exemptions. Mammogram centers are shutting down. Important surgical procedures are being postponed. Abortion is an elective procedure that should not be permitted at the peak of the coronavirus. Crisis, and again, later it says Planned Parenthood is actively requesting donations of masks and surgical supplies to perform their elective abortion procedures, further misappropriating critical items in the fight against COVID-19. So, like you said, Planned Parenthood is showing their true colors here, their true intentions. They're in this for the money, and the money comes from abortions. Also, uh, kind of talking about PFI here. Me and Caleb met this summer, this past summer, at a awesome political and leadership conference called City on the Hill. I uh, just wanted to wrap that a little bit. This summer. Uh, It's planning to be from July 19th to July 25th as of now. That's still the plan. Uh, It's a Christian and political leadership conference for teenagers. There's a whole bunch of training sessions uh, from amazing speakers on things like uh, The Case for Life, Christians in the Public Square, Why Religious Freedom Matters, uh, amazing nationally round speakers like Scott Klusendorf, who's an amazing pro-life speaker from the Life Training Institute, Paul Kengor from Grove City College, she's a writer, uh, and Christian Hawkins from Students for Life, and state representatives and senators. Uh, we stay in Lancaster College Bible College campus for a week, which is so much fun. We are—it's kind of a mock Senate type of thing. Uh, so we argue for actual bills and re- resolutions as state senators for the week, and at the end of the week, we get to use this, the Pennsylvania State Capitol building, committee rooms, and Senate floor for to uh, kind of for the conclusion of this mock Senate, which is awesome. Again, I'll drop that link in the description, and you can learn more about that and register. I would really encourage you uh, to do it. Caleb, can you talk a little bit about your experience with with uh, City on the Hill?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to point out where, at this point, we are sublimed to have it. Like you mentioned, uh, Lake Surabba College has shut down a decent amount of their events through, I think, May 15th. Uh, so, obviously, you know, ours is in, takes place in the summer. City on the Hill takes place in the summer. So we are still tentatively hoping that it still happens. And uh, we're working through that as well. But, yes, uh, like you did mention, you mentioned the dates. And so, yeah, we, we'd love for you guys, to, for those who are in high school, to be able to come. Uh, My experience has been really interesting. I I went back in 2017 as my first year. Uh, Again, really looking forward to this throughout my early years in high school, something I really wanted to join. And 2017 saw a lot of returning students, and so I really felt like I was able to grow in a lot of ways, and I learned from a lot of people that were more knowledgeable than I was. And I came back in 2019 and was elected president of the Senate, which was a really fun experience. I was one of two returning students. So that was an interesting thing. I I took a break in 2018 uh, and came back in 2019. So that was a really fun experience. And uh, Daniel here was uh, one of our chairmen as well. Did a fantastic job. And uh, he absolutely killed it in that role. So uh, well done. I'll point that out as well, Daniel. Daniel did a great job. But one of my favorite things about the experience of City on the Hill is the fact that no matter what you are going to pursue in life, city on the hill is going to have necessary life skills that they're going to be able to help you with. Communication, problem solving, uh, perseverance, motivation, so many different elements, so many different life skills that you're going to be able to take with you no matter what field you go into. Uh, something that I recommend and that I think every high schooler should be able to take advantage of. And I think it's important to point out, too, that not everybody shares the same belief system. I right. don't know if you remember, there was a couple of different discussions about Donald Trump and, and yes. people vehemently disagreeing on him, uh, which is really interesting. And, and I think it's cool to be able to have this space that not everyone agrees on everything mm-hmm. and that we can talk about it in a, a civil and respectful way.
1: Yeah, just to echo what you just said, like, we all share the same core Christian beliefs, which is the foundation that everything else right. should be built on, but we can still – uh learn together by disagreeing about other things uh just again echoing what you said city on the hill is a fabulous fabulous week i would recommend it for any high school student like for me and for caleb we're more interested in politics but there's so many kids that had no interest in in politics but they just came to learn and to kind of learn about the civic process and a lot of it is leadership and just learning how to be a uh better person uh, and a better christian uh, in leadership Thank you, Caleb, for coming on today. I'd like to thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Cross the Line. We appreciate every one of our listeners, and you guys are the reason why we can continue to produce content like this. If you have some spare time on your hands as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, check out the citizensbrief.com and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts just by searching uh, Cross the Line. We deeply hope that TCB, Cross the Line, and other third-way media productions can help to change the conversation surrounding Christianity and politics. My name is Daniel Holstetter, and you just heard from Caleb Steindel. Thank you for tuning in to Cross the Line.